the Department of Justice report on false claims settlement continues the trend of the number of settlements, including QUITAM relators, anti-kickback statutes, Stark Law, Medicaid, and individual accountability. But there's an interesting issue with respect to the amount of the collections. Captain Integrity Production and the law firm of Nelson Mullins presents Stark Integrity, the Stark Law and Compliance Podcast. Stark Integrity explores the world of the Stark Law and healthcare compliance with our nationally recognized Stark Law, Fraud, and Compliance Attorney, Bob Wade. Bob has a national healthcare legal and compliance practice that focuses on the minions of the Anti-Kickback Statute, False Claims Act, and the Stark Law, including fair market value and commercial reasonableness. Although Bob is a law partner in the national law firm of Nelson Mullins, the views expressed in Stark Integrity are Bob's personal views and not the views of the firm, and they are not intended to be legal advice. Now, without further ado, I give you Captain Integrity, Bob Wade. Welcome to Stark Integrity, the Stark Law and Compliance Podcast. My name is Bob Wade, and I am your host. Well, periodically, I will provide information regarding recent settlements under the Stark Law and a kickback statute and False Claims Act. And typically, when the Department of Justice puts out their annual report or even their biannual report, uh, I will report on the trends and also uh, the issues that uh, are being released uh, by the Department of Justice in their report. Well, on February 7th of 2023, the DOJ released their most recent report with respect to fiscal year 2022. And, and the heading under the report said the second highest number of settlements in history. So there were 351 False Claims Act settlements in fiscal year 2022, which the Department of Justice indicates is the second highest number of settlements uh, that they have uh, recovered uh, during a fiscal year. Uh, but the dollar amount during fiscal year 2022 was $2.2 billion. Now, let's, let's take a look at, at history. And when you adjust numbers for inflation, then over an eight-year period, starting around 2009-2010, the average was $4.8 billion. Again, in 2022, it was $2.2 billion. And then in 2021, it was $6.1 billion. But half of that reflected the settlement with Purdue Pharma uh, with respect to the opioid issue. Uh, so there was a huge spike uh, with respect to 2021. But 2022, the dollar amount, even though we had the highest, second highest number of settlements and judgments in fiscal year 2022, was down substantially at only, I say only, I'm using air quotes there, uh, $2.2 billion. Now, as listeners to Stark Integrity know, the False Claims Act applies to any type of government payment, not just health care. Uh, but in their report, the Department of Justice is indicating that the trend is continuing, that the majority of the false claim settlements relate to the health care industry. So it was $1.7 billion of the 2.2, so that, that reflects about 77.3% of all false claims act 
uh, settlements relate to the healthcare industry. And this includes drug and medical device manufacturers, DME providers, home health, managed care providers, hospitals, pharmacies, hospice, and physicians. So even though it was down uh, in the dollar amount of collections under the False Claims Act, the majority of those collections dealt with the healthcare industry. And as listeners to Stark Integrity also know that the Quitam Bar makes up a majority of those settlements. So in fiscal year 2022, of the $2.2 billion that the government collected under the False Claims Act, $1.9 billion related to Quitam whistleblower cases. So that's 86.4%. So of all of the dollars settled, under the False Claims Act by the Department of Justice or judgments. It's not only just settlements, but also judgments. 86% of those were generated through a Quitam relator. And the Quitam relators were paid $488 million. Uh, So collectively, for all of the relators, $488 million was paid by the government out of the $1.9 billion that the government collected uh, through the cases that the Quitam relators brought forward under the provisions of the False Claims Act. Now, I indicated that there were 351 settlements and judgments under the False Claims Act, but in fiscal year 2022, now hold tight for this, there were 652, 652 Quitam suits brought forward by whistleblowers under the False Claims Act. And as indicated in the teaser to this episode, the same kind of themes, you know, dealing with the anti-kickback statute, the Stark Law, individual accountability, uh, but another new area is Medicaid. Now, of the $2.2 billion, that is only what the federal government recovered. And so the federal government, because they do support the Medicaid programs in most states, that the federal government can collect uh, some money based upon Medicaid fraud and abuse. So now I'm going to go by category, uh, and really I'm just using the DOJ press release uh, to kind of highlight some of the key areas that are being settled as well as judgments. So the first category is the Medicaid program. And I have an episode on co-pays and deductibles and the waiver of co-pays and deductibles. And this first case is exactly on point. So it's Malacrot. They are a pharmaceutical company and they paid $260 million. And part of the allegations were that they had this foundation that the pharmaceutical company was funding that was a conduit to pay illegal kickbacks in the form of co-pay subsidies to patients that did not have a financial need for the payment of those co-pays you know, through the foundation. So that's, that's one case. The next case is Gold Coast Health Plan, and they had uh, you know three of their county-owned providers, Ventura County, Dignity Health, and Salintas del Camino Real, they paid a combined $70.7 million uh, to resolve false claims to the California's Medicaid program. So the payments that they, this, uh, these entities were seeking were not for allowed medical expenses under their contract with the state. And they were predetermined amounts that did not reflect fair market value or were duplicative of services that they were paid for, or also that they were uh, that they offered 
unlawful gifts in violation of the state constitution. So there's a lot of issues here, but this was primarily targeted at the Medicaid uh, program and these entities' involvement with the California Medicaid program. Again, $70.7 million. The next major category is unnecessary or services or substandard care. And I've talked before in Stark Integrity about substandard care may not meet the medically necessary definition, and the first case is exactly that. So there are three nursing homes under the banner of American Health Foundation um, that they they provided, at least the uh, settlement indicated that they provided, and we can use air quotes, grossly substandard skilled nursing facilities, and they failed to follow appropriate infection control protocols and did not maintain adequate staffing levels. So the Department of Justice filed claims under the False Claims Act against these three entities, these affiliates, and uh, so there's been no settlement or judgment in those cases, but those cases are, are, are going forward. The next one in this category is Providence Health and Services Washington, and they paid $22.7 million to settle allegations regarding medically unnecessary neurosurgeries. And medical personnel within this organization were expressing concerns regarding two neurosurgeons that they were endangering patients, created an, an excessive level of complications and negative con uh, outcomes, and they performed surgeries, again the allegation goes, they performed surgeries on patients who are not appropriate for surgery, and they failed to properly document their procedures and outcomes. So again, uh, they paid $22.7 million uh, based upon medically unnecessary neurosurgeries. The next case under this category is Ergo, and this is a hearing aid device seller. They paid $34.4 million to resolve a False Claims Act uh, allegation that they submitted claims for unsupported hearing loss-related diagnosis codes. So they failed to document the medical necessity for the hearing aids for the patients that they ended up selling the hearing aids to. So that was $34.4 million. The next case is a hospice case, and this is Care for Associates, and they operated under the name Crossroads Hospice, and they paid $5.5 million uh, because the allegation was that they billed Medicare for hospice services where the patients were not, I'm going to put in air quotes, not terminally ill. So this is just a point that for hospice programs out there that you really do need to document the terminal illness of the patients in the medical record and have a physician certify the terminal illness for those patients. The next case is Home Health. This is Signature Home Health Services of Florida. They paid $2.1 million, and the, there's like four allegations here. Number one, the patients were not certified to be homebound. Number two, they did not require skilled care. Number three, they did not have a valid plan of care in place by a physician. And number four, they did not, did not have an appropriate face-to-face -face encounter with a physician to certify the homebound status. So that if, again, for home health agencies, you need to make sure that there is that face-to-face -to, -face to certify the homebound status and also to establish an appropriate plan of care. Next, we're going to go to a pharmacy. So this is Hyatt Pharmacy. They paid $2 million. And the allegation here is they switched 
the prescription came in for a lower cost medication and they switched to a higher cost medication without showing of any medical need for the higher cost medication or a valid prescription by an ordering physician. The next case is Physician Partners of America. And, and this not only was with the entity, but also the founder and former chief medical officer. They ended up collectively paying $24.5 million. And basically the allegation was is the entity required their physici- physician employees to order multiple urine drug tests at the same time uh, without determining whether any testing was reasonable and necessary. And even some of these tests were ordered without the ordering physician even reviewing the results of the test. Further, the entity basically instructed their employed physicians to automatically order psychological and genetic testing that they didn't use or didn't intend to use. And also, uh, during the pandemic, uh, they were instructed to have biweekly telehealth appointments, and the allegation was the biweekly appointments was for the sole purpose of increasing revenue during the pandemic. So this involved not only the False Claims Act, but also the Stark Law. And the last one in this category for unnecessary services or substandard care is MD Spine Solutions where the entity and two of its owners agreed to pay $16 million for basically ordering what was alleged to be medically unnecessary urine drug tests. So we need to make sure that when urine drug tests are ordered that there's a medical necessary reason for ordering of the urine drug tests. And I guess there is one more. It's Raddy's LLC paid 116 for medically unnecessary urine drug tests where they're performing both presumptive and confirmatory tests on the same urine sample, which is not permitted. So you can do a presumptive, and then if if further testing is needed, you can do a, a separate test, but it cannot be performed on the same urine sample. Okay, that ends that category. The next category, which is uh, kind of consistent with the other DOJ releases, is Medicare Advantage. And as I've indicated before on Stark Integrity, when you have an Advantage, Medicare Advantage program, uh, then you need to be reporting the appropriate medical condition of the patients. And there's the allegation uh, that by the Department of Justice that some entities managed to care these uh, Advantage programs were inaccurately reporting the acuity of the patients, making the patients appear sicker than what they actually were in order to increase the payment that is coming from the Medicare program to Medicare Advantage. And the uh, DOJ intervened with one case, Cigna Corp., and there are also continued litigation with several others, and I think I mentioned these before in Stark Integrity. So it's United Health Group, Independent Health Corporation, Elevance Health, as well as Kaiser Permanente Consortium. Next, we go to unlawful kickbacks. And also there's personal liability with respect to uh, kickback. So under the False Claims Act, the department filed complaints against, and this is individual liability, two laboratory CEOs, a CEO of a hospital, six physicians, and other individuals uh, alleging violations of the False Claims Act based upon anti-kickback statute and Stark Law issues. So the individual accountability continues. 
So the largest settlement uh, was uh, of the $2.2 billion was $844 million paid by Biogen. And so Biogen uh, resolved allegations that it paid kickbacks to physicians in the form of speaking honoraria, speaking training fees, consulting fees, and mills, uh, and uh, in order to induce these physicians to order Biogen's multiple sclerosis drugs. And so, again, for all these issues, whether or not you're a hospital, a pharmaceutical company, durable medical equipment, what have you, you have to make sure that if you're paying honoraria, speaking training fees, providing mills, et cetera, that those are representative of fair market value for services being rendered. Next one is interesting. This is Flower Mound Hospital Partners. So this is a physician-owned hospital. They paid $18.2 million. And basically what happened here is the entity forced the repurchase of shares from physicians who were age 63 years old or older and then resold those shares to younger physicians, but they took into account, and I've got an episode on taking into account, but they took into account the potential volume or value of physician referrals when they were selecting the younger physicians and also the number of shares that they were selling to the physicians. So if you're going to redistribute shares, you cannot base the number or the selection of the physicians based upon the potential volume or value of referrals. And again, this hospital ended up paying $18.2 million. And the next one also, again, emphasizes individual responsibility. So the, the DOJ settled cases with 32 Texas doctors, 32 and two executives, for $5 million. And basically, it was for improper payments through management service organizations that were really guised as a scheme to, to encourage the physicians to order laboratory tests from the, the laboratory. Uh, in fact, they've tried to also indicate that the money that was being paid through these management service organizations was a return on investment, but really it was a scheme in order to financially incentivize the physicians to order lab tests, and those that investment was through a management service organization. So the point here is if, you're, if compensation is going to flow through an MSO, we need to make sure that there are valid services being rendered by those physicians, and the investment is an actual and true investment, and any return is only related to their investment interest and not tied to the volume or value of referrals. The DOJ also indicated that there was COVID-related fraud issues that they ended up collecting. Um, so primarily under the Paycheck Protection Program, the PPP. Uh, so there was actually even one bank uh, that ended up paying $18,673 because it was alleged that the bank knew that the, the owner of the entity seeking the PPP funds was not eligible to receive those funds. And another case under COVID is Moore's Life Health System. And so this is a nursing home and assisted living facility, and they ended up paying $1.75 million for providing COVID vaccinations to ineligible participants. Now, we all recall at the beginning of COVID, the vaccines were in short supply so that they were rationed. But this entity, uh, they ended up providing the COVID vaccinations to board members and also potential donors 
and they did that through their private foundation. And so they were ineligible at that time. The, the, the vaccinations were intended for the residents of the skilled nursing facility or the assisted living facility, but they diverted that those drugs to ineligible participants to favor uh, their board members and potential donors. And again, that was a $1.75 million repayment. And to wrap this up, uh, the, the I've offered, already referenced some individual accountability uh, in some of these other cases, but there was a section in the DOJ release that focuses on a few physicians. So there was one from Los Angeles, individual physician, paid $9.5 million that the allegation was that he ordered tests from Medicare and MedCal for procedures and tests that were never performed. Another doctor and his wife from Philadelphia paid $3 million that uh, for the allegation was that they had uh, billed for psychiatric services that were not performed, as well as upcoding and double billing for patient claims. And that uh, the one for uh, from Philadelphia for $3 million was the largest recovery against a single psychiatrist in the history of the Department of Labor Office of Workers' Compensation Program. So now for the three Captain Integrity Punch Points for this episode, Captain Integrity Punch Point number one is that the Quitam Bar still represents the largest number by dollar uh, perspective of settlements under the False Claims Act. Captain Integrity punch point number two is that individual accountability is still occurring. So that, you know, physicians, chief executive officers can be targets of the False Claims Act and uh, can be part of the settlement. So it's not just an entity thing anymore. It's also an individual thing. And Captain Integrity punch point number three, that even though the fraud and abuse under the health care program has been prosecuted since the mid-80s, we're still seeing what I call classic fraud and abuse issues, uh, not only under the anti-kickback statute, but also the Stark Law. So even though a lot of these were settlements and allegations, we need to be very, very careful to make sure that we document the nature of the compensation or the remuneration that we're providing to referral sources to make sure that there is a basis to defend each and every amount of benefit that we're providing to a referral source. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Stark Integrity, the Stark Law and Compliance Podcast. If you have any questions regarding this episode, the Stark Law, or healthcare compliance, you can contact me at bobwadecaptainintegrity at gmail.com or my law firm email address at bob.wade at nelsonmullins.com. You can review this and any other episode of Stark Integrity at the Captain Integrity website at captainintegrity.com. You can also follow me on LinkedIn under Bob Wade. I hope the three Captain Integrity punch points will help you with the Stark Law and compliance. In closing, remember that integrity depends on you and me.